Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. We're into the last few weeks of the salmon and trout season now and for this week's episode we're joined by Peter Driver, founder of Piscari Fly in Kilkenny and a highly accomplished trout angler who just recently captured the National Rivers Championship. Peter talks to us about the importance of mindset and mentality in enabling him to capture the national title. Plus he talks tactics for September river fishing and how the 2022 season was for him. So Tom, before we hear from Peter, um, I just thought there was some really interesting insights from him on how he approaches a river for his competition fishing. And, and I suppose it's, you know, it's something we can all learn a lot from. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear that. All right. I mean, particularly, you know, when he talks about thinking properly and, you know, how, how you could lose your mind, uh, not lose your mind, but, you know, lose us. Uh, and and do things wrong basically is what he what he was going on uh one of the really interesting things i thought was how with a limited amount of time yet when he discusses us at, at one of the sessions in this year's championship with a limited amount of time he had to decide what to do uh, i think that's fascinating rather than just you know oh you think oh you're, all you're doing is you're chucking out a line and hoping something's going to get with us but um no i thought that was brilliant and as he said for that session, it turned out right for him with a very limited amount of time left. But as he said, you know, maybe other times it wouldn't have worked for him. For me, what I thought was very interesting was when he talked about, because he, he won the competition on the Avonmore River. Basically, he said, like, he knew it. Like, you know, he grew up on it. Like, and so my initial question was going to be to, okay, well, surely that was a benefit and advantage and, you know, that, that helped. But he was actually saying, no, sometimes that actually goes against you because you go there with a preconceived kind of notion of this is the way this fishes. It was not really interesting. Yeah. I th- really well. Yeah. And, and actually, as soon as he said that, it was, it was like, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't put it that way in my mind, but it was exactly, you know, it, it was very clear in that way because, you know, I, I fish competitions as well. And sometimes when, when they're on my home waters here, you know, you can go in like that and I wouldn't try different things. And whatnot, and particularly so on a river, as he said, you know, uh, when he, you know, he'd know the beats, you know, whereas somebody that doesn't know it that well would come in with a completely different frame of mind and maybe do well in it. For me, and it comes back to, I know we've covered this before in the podcast, it's like, I'm not a competition anchor, I'm never going to be in a million years, but, and I'd say, you know, the vast majority of people listening to this probably aren't either, but you, I, you learn so much from it. That's what I love about it. When I listen to somebody like Peter talking about how they approach the river, how they approach this stretch of water, the mindset to it is, and like I said, we're not, you know, when I go fishing, I'm not going with the mindset of, oh, I have to, I have three hours, duh, 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 duh. but like still you're just picking up little nuggets all the time. So yeah, I found, I found it fascinating. And then, you know, obviously yeah, we get into kind of September tactics and, you know, as well, actually the, the fly time that's going to be starting in October. So actually I want to ask you, Tom, how do you feel now? Cause you've got, what are we now? Mid-September. You've about two and a half weeks left before the end of the season. Are you like 17, de- 17 days, four hours, and 22 <laughs> minutes? But so like, really, who's there. counting? <laughs> uh, what do I have left? What is, was I right there when I said 17 days? Uh, no, it's actually 19 days. Well, oh, no, it days. depends when this episode goes out. <laughs> yeah, it does actually. Okay, when this episode goes out, it'll be about 14 days. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I get a bit, um, uh, what's the word? Um, Shorty, I'm trying to think. Um, fifty. I, I feel. Oh my God, I've got to maximize the time. But like, I'm really busy now, so I actually only have a couple of days left fishing for myself. Um, 
I always tell you, I don't vote for the last two days of the season. So I've got that's them. Your time. Yeah, they're they're my two days. I'll do a day on mask and a day on car probably. But um, yeah, let's say if I was just fishing for myself, and I know the feeling, and a lot of other guys will have it. Oh my god, we're running out of time. I'm running out of time. Oh, I've got, and then you know you'll stay at the start of September. Well. Do you know what? I'm going to fish Sheeland now. I'll get up to lean and I'll do mask. I'll get on to Arrow. And then half the month goes through and you realize you haven't achieved any of those trips. You're going, oh, right. Okay. And you've loads of plans. And, you know, if 20% of them materialize, you're doing well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What is it they say? If you want to make God laugh, tell them you've got plans. <laughs> yeah. 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 And tell me this. So, like, how has the fishing been? Like, you know, on Coro in September? Like, Ooh, tough. Oh, it's really, really tough. It's it's not disastrous. Okay, that's what I'll say. But uh, it was out today. Just I'll give you an example of today. We're out today. We rose six fish for the day. Okay, all day. Uh, it started off well, and uh, it was cloudy. And for the first couple of drifts, we had the best action. We rose three fish, uh, got one of them, it was about a pound and a half, lost another guy that was well over two to three pounds between two and three pounds i should say well over two probably not three and rose another one and then sun came out and as often the case in september when you don't get good conditions in september because you don't have a huge amount of fly uh there's no reason for the fish to be looking up you know okay so. uh, i find that you know it's one of the one of the things i find about september fishing you really need the conditions going well anyway so we didn't rise another fish till about ooh, i think it was half three and we rose, or we rose four fish after half three. We got one of them, and he was fish between thirteen and fourteen inches, and hit another one. So for the day, we two fish, uh, lost one, and rose four others. And traditionally, how would September like? If you look back on the diaries, like you know, it, it always depends on conditions. But like you'd be looking for a livelier day of, of you know, of moving fish in the double figures, right? You know, that's what you want. I mean, you'll have some good days and you might boat five, six, seven or eight of them, really good days. And then other days you might only boat one or two of them. But you want the the action. It's the action that keeps us going. It's like if you move a fish in a drift or see fish moving, it keeps you going. Like, I don't know, remember, because I listened to it recently, we were talking about, um, uh, talked to you before about Kingsman Moor. And if you actually read a man may fish, his best ever September day was only nine trout. And that was the best ever, yeah. 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 So, no, he, he did put in the um, thing with it. Okay, they were always good fish. They were always around two pounds. But, um, you know, that was it. You know, so it's, you know, you've got to remember. But, like, to be honest, what you're looking for is action, right? And if you rise a dozen to 20 fish in a day, that's great. Or you could be really lucky and get, get 50% of them, maybe more. Um, then other days you won't. But on a day like today, when you're only moving six or seven fish, it's tougher. You know, it is, it is tougher. And to be honest with you, you can get worse days than that. So, Welcome yeah. to the salmon anglers world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Well, look, tune in the next few weeks. We'll do a, an episode um, looking back on the trout season. Another one also looking back on the salmon season. Um, here how 2022 went. But let's go back to Peter Driver. And Peter explained to us about his uh, winning the National Rivers title. Yeah, so it was held there two weeks ago on the Avonmore River up in County Wicklow. Rathrum Trout Anglers hosted it again. I think it was their third or fourth time hosting the national championships up there. The, the Taffy National Championships uh, Interprovincial. 
Um, and yeah, just everything went well on the day and a bit of practice beforehand and uh, got the draw and got to fish to the net. And yeah, just turned out at the end, I just got over the line. Nice to get it. They don't come along that often. We fished them for many years. It was 10 years since I won the last one in Kentuck. And um, yeah, they don't come along that often. So nice, nice to get one and especially nice to get one on home water. You know, you knew the river well, you knew the stretch as well. Yeah, but... I grew up on that river. I spent the entire childhood on that river learning the craft of fly fishing. Uh, every summer, every weekend, uh, I could get onto it. Spent the whole, the whole, my whole childhood growing up that river. So I know it well. Uh, very difficult river to fish. Anyone that's fished it before, Tom, I think you've been on it too. One time we were getting ready for Sweden. But a very difficult river, very challenging. Um, but if you if you do your homework well, get things, you know, get your your systems and your processes set up well, and um, attack it with positivity and not negativity enough. The other more can can sort of eat you up a bit if you start dropping the head at all. And um, there is fish there to be got. There is definitely fish there to be got. Well, you said that there's no guarantee because it's your home water that you're guaranteed success. Do you know, know what, Tom? That's a great point. Yeah. Because sometimes I see that as a disadvantage. An awful yeah. lot of people say, oh, it's your home river. He's going to But I already have preconceptions of all that water. Where if hmm. I drew a beat that I had no preconceptions about and I walk in and I see a lovely streamy piece of water, well, then I straight away think, this looks fishy to me. There has to be fish here. Whether there's a fish or not, and I'll fish it with that intention that there's fish here. But when you draw a piece of water that you know and know as well as I know the Avamore, and if you had bad experiences of that piece over a 10-year period or your lifetime fishing that piece of water, you straight away have preconceptions that I, I didn't get to draw. You know, I didn't get to draw before I Very even true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so, the question I was going to ask, Peter, I was actually going to ask the flip of it was, you know, being a home water, you know, does it have the advantages and benefits? But it's a bit like kind of what you're talking about, confirmation bias. Isn't that what they call it? So... You know, yeah, like absolutely. if you're yeah. used to yeah. that stretch and you come with a kind of a mindset going, oh, this, whereas if you come out of totally clean, you're just reading it very objectively. And that's the way it should absolutely. be. And it's often the case when I'm preparing for a competition on a piece of river that I might know quite as well, or it could be down in Cork or it could be up the north or wherever it is for whatever competition. I often I do very little practice on the competition water. So I don't have those preconceptions of what the river is going to be like, but I practice on very similar water on another piece of river somewhere else, you know? So at least when you, when you arrive to your beat, you know, there, there's nothing there from two weeks ago or two months ago or two years ago saying, well, I was here a couple of months ago and I didn't get any trout off that beat. That's not a great draw. You're straight away into the negative. Put it very simply. You don't want, you don't want your head to get messed up. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, absolutely not. And that can play awful games when it comes to fly fishing, especially in tight mm. rivers like the Avamore. You know, moments of error there, only microseconds of error or microseconds of timing. You're going to be stuck in a tree. You're going to slip and fall into the river. And you know, they're all things that can really upset your, your whole game plan and upset your momentum. If you get going tall or dropping fish or whatever, for you know, these moments. So you, you need clear focus and, and yeah, you don't need your head messed up, as Tom said. No, just tell us, Peter, how for the uninitiated, how what's the format of it? How does it work in terms of the, the national rivers competition? So basically, it all starts, it's an interprovincial for starters. So there's four teams competing on a team basis um, Leinster, Munster, Ulster, and Connacht. We each have are entitled to send 20 anglers per province to fish in the interprovincial. So there would be a Leinster finals, there'd be a Munster final, so on in the earlier on in the season. The top 20 competitors from each championships, if there is 20 competitors, um, will go forward and fish the national championships. Um, when you arrive, then you're fishing as part of a team and also as an individual, two, two, two events uh, and one day. Um, and it's scored then on Phipps Moose rules. So you will have two three-hour sessions. 
uh, it would be open draw. So you'll pick your morning session and there'll be a rotation draw, which will choose your afternoon session for you. You'll be group A or group B, depending on your draw. And you will compete against the people in that group. You're not competing against everybody, but you're competing against. So if I'm in group A, you know, I'm competing against the people in group A. If I win group A morning session, I get one place point. If I win group B or group A evening session, I also collect one place point, leaving me on two place points uh, for the overall tournament. The person with the lowest amount of place points wins the tournament, basically. If it's a draw, it goes to the amount of fish. Is it, you say in terms of winning, is it based on size of fish, total amount of fish? How does that, how is that calculated? So the, the, the main figure would be place points. How would you determine who comes where is um, your fish measurements. So a 20 centimeter fish is, qualifies to be on the scorecard. And in Ratron, because of the, the level of difficulty in the river and the time of year, we drop the size limit to 18 centimeters to the tip of the tail. So once it crosses 18 centimeters, it goes onto the scorecard. You're then calculated as a formula there, Fipsmoosh formula that calculates the points for you. You get 100 points per fish and 20 points per centimeter of fish. And that gives you overall fish points. That will then determine your placing in that session as regards how many fish points you get. Not that necessarily the amount or, of fish. That formula actually rewards you for catching a bigger fish, basically. Does it to a certain extent, but whereas if it was just on normal length, let's say, you know, if it was just this is the whole idea behind that. Because if if you caught three 18 centimeter fish, but one guy yeah. caught um one 18 centimeter fish and a 30 centimeter fish, he would if it was just on length. Yes, the three eighteens would beat the other guy. Sorry, if it was twenty five. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. because of the formula that they put in, you do get a certain advantage for catching bigger. You fish. get a reward not, for catching yeah. a bigger. So fish. it's not just numbers, basically. But it, yeah, no. like there's a weighting to if yeah. in those numbers. Yeah. So it's trying to get the balance, the balance of both. Really. Mm. Trying to get, trying to get a good balance. Absolutely. You, you know, uh, on the morning session, myself and David Donovan both had thirteen fish, and Dave came up to me in the car park and said, "How big were yours?" You know, how did you get any 25s? I only had 25s. Did you get her 26? You know, that one centimeter of fish could be the difference between, um, and lucky enough, it worked in my favor. You know, um, I, I got a couple of centimeters more than Dave did. Two, two or three of my fish were, were above 25 centimeters, where Dave never broke the 25 centimeter mark. So, and that got me over the lane and won the morning session in, in Ratrum on that. And that, and that left Dave on two points. Sorry, that left Dave. That left second. Dave then on two place points in second place and me on one place point going yeah. into the afternoon, yeah. And sorry, just one question. In terms of the measurement of that, who who monitors, who measures it? Like, where does So we all have our own controllers. So part of the tournament, we have to bring controllers with us. And you're then paired up against another competitor's controller. Um, so I had a monster guy with me. And um, he would then marshal you for the, day, for the entire day on all aspects of the tournament, not just measuring the fish, but leader lengths, barbless hooks, um, fish welfare was a very big thing for us in this competition because of the drought, the temperatures that were there. You know, we really emphasized um, that all controllers were, were, you know, were well educated on the morning of the competition to, to be aware of fish welfare and the fish were being kept in the water while the angler was making his way back across the river or if he'd come across stones, that, you know, every effort was made for fish welfare. So the, the controller has several jobs to do on the day, but to measure the fish, so we bring back the fish to controller. He measures it in a shoot purposely made for it. And then he releases the fish and records on a scorecard if it makes the size. Tom, have you ever done river competition fishing? Obviously, you've done it for I the have, boat. actually. Yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> and I was telling uh, Peter there, the first time I ever fished a, a river competition was when I fished for Ireland with Peter on our first ever, both of his fir- uh, our first caps in Sweden in the World Championship in 2001. And I actually right. never, yeah, now I qualified off the lakes. 
the first ever river competition I actually faced was my first river section at that competition. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm confused. <laughs> yes. They, yeah. I'll try, I'll try and put it really quickly. Yeah, well, how they do with a lot of the teams in the World Championship, they would pull a certain amount of the team from the Lake Championship and a certain amount of team from the Rivers Championship, thereby having, a let's say, a 50-50 mix, just really simplifying it. And they go out to uh, a lot of World Championships and European Championships would have both Lake and River sections. Uh, okay, okay. That's, that's how it is. So, but I still spent on to, I did qualify for a couple of Taffy teams off the, the National River Championships. So, but that was after I'd done my first ever. After the experience. Do a lot, most countries have separate like river and lake kind of competitions? There is different qualification systems throughout yeah. the world. Different countries have different structures. Yeah. Some have super leagues. Some have a points-based system throughout the year, depending on competitions already finished in a certain amount of, of, of competitions. Uh, some are hand-picked. I think Ireland's, uh, it has a lot for it and it has a lot against it. It's very what would you say, you're almost diplomatic in a way. Everyone gets an opportunity to have a crack at an Irish uh, cap, which is important, you know. I, I think it's there, there's an awful lot for us, say, for and against. There are people say, well, we're not getting the consistency on the team, so we're not getting up in the, the you know up higher rankings and stuff like that. But yeah, just back to what Tom said, he had never fished a river until he got to the World Championships. You know, when I qualified for that same team, I caught one fish in an All-Ireland final, and I was nearly going to mention that later on, but I decided to go on the back burner now. But yeah. one fish in, in an All-Ireland, and I made that team. Yeah. One, one single fish in a tie, and I made that team. So I got my opportunity, even though I was very inexperienced at that time and very young, but I still got my opportunity to get my cap to, at that mm. time. And, you know, so the way the system does work, some can argue that's unfair, some can argue that it's, it's actually... You know, it's a great opportunity. Everybody gets a fair crack at the whip. It's democratic. Go well, for them on the day. They can yeah, it's very democratic. Yeah, and yeah. like to be honest, yeah. you could you could spend a lot of time on bar stools arguing the pros and cons. Seriously, absolutely. About the way yeah. uh, about which team selection you would use, as Peter says, there's pros and cons to any method you have. But yeah. you have to say about the current one for the world and Europeans, it is very democratic, and everyone gets a fair crack at it. Yeah. You get your look on the day. And you make yep. a team, whether you fish lakes or you fish rivers, if you earn your spot on a national team, you have every right to take it up and go and fish for your, yep. fish your country. A great honour. Probably one of the greatest honours I've ever had in fly fishing was wearing the green jacket. And yep. yeah, so. Um, Tom, actually, just on the Sweden thing, was it very daunting, very nerve-wracking? Oh, like God, yeah. Yeah, and funny, just talking about waiting there, I actually remember when I caught my fish on that, caught a grayling. And then when I was playing the grayling, because you've got to remember, I don't ever caught my first grilling two weeks before that when we went over to Wales. Right. To That's right, yeah. Muse. Very well done. Joe Trail organised for the team to split up. When we went over to the Welsh day, the fish were grilling. Because grilling were right. going to be big on this and none of us had caught grilling before. And I was playing this grilling, I was nymphing, and I played this grilling and then I thought it was a perch. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not kidding. It must have a perch. And the next day I got it in. Oh, well, yeah. To get out of the lie, I had hopped on stones and, and then when I went to go back to the controller, I couldn't see the stones for the sun. Oh, no, no, oh my God, I'm going to get washed away. I got to... <laughs> anyway, there were big rivers there too, Tom. Yeah, there were. They were fucking huge. The Vindelaven. The Vindelaven yeah, was that big Vindelaven. river. Water river. Yeah, oh, it was something river. else. But it was, yeah. what you say, when I looked out and I saw it, like, if, I mean, for you, Peter, you know how to read a river, right? Uh, and like, I'd be 
basically reading lakes, right? That's that's my forte. Mm. God, I looked out like to be honest, yeah, I was, yeah, daunting is kind of an understatement now. To be honest, <laughs> with you. yeah, God. yeah, fish anyway. Yeah, I did actually. I tell you, when I got that first grayling, I tell you the feeling I had going back out fishing because it was only about um, uh, it was about oh God, I was an hour and a half into the session. And I was going, oh, no, I'm going to blank, I'm going to blank, I'm going to blank. And they're only three-hour sessions, which is like Peter is saying, it's different. And I'm from a background of fishing lake competitions with eight or nine hours. You know, it's completely, yeah. Yeah, everything is so different. And like, it's, I was, um, and you might tell us a bit about the way it is now, Peter. I mean, it's, it's so, we were discussing this before, the way the three-hour sessions are now, like, you have to be young and fit. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. You're not ambling around and looking at things like you you are rushing back to the controller. You're it's absolutely. Yeah, and it's physically demanding. I I know for at least 4 or 5 days after having more I was black and blue. I was knackered. I was nail wag. And you know there was young there's there's an awful there's a good crop of young anglers coming through right now in Ireland. Robert Hackett there um Sean Sean Dempsey, Kieran Riley. These are Riley, top yeah. class, really high end competition anglers fit young men in their 20s you know yeah. and and um yeah and i remember halfway through this the second session on the avamore thinking jesus like you know you're really feeling it now and you've got to push even harder to try to get over the line here and all i could think about was these young lads like goats down the river from me hopping from rock to rock yeah. um you know and and, and getting through the water but it, it can be very physically demanding absolutely what about the metals? Yeah, what about the metal side of Peter? Because I, 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 my impression of it is, is you know, you're seeing the lads in the river, and it's just total concentration for those three hours. You're just not letting up. You're just, you know, all the way through. Like physically, it must or mentally, it must be very, very draining. Like. It can absolutely can, but it all depends on your mindset. Tom touched on there long ago. You know, not letting things get into your head, not getting your head messed up. It's about having good, you know, clear plan, clear focus of what you want to get through in that session or what your setups are. You know, I break everything down into systems and processes. Um, I'd have all that lined up in my head. It, it, it changes. It can possibly change at any second. But you try and have some kind of a structure or a plan in your head and execute that as best you can, especially in the first half an hour to set yourself. And then just, you know, you, you go through the motions. And after that, you push yourself as hard as you can. But depending on the situation, you know, um, you know, depending on the situation, depends on the river you're fishing, the beach you've got, the numbers that you need to get through that. Um, the water that's in front of you, obviously some water will be shallow, some waters will be very deep, some waters will be quite heavy currents, you know, and you'll have to take every one of those challenges then as you see fit, as you move towards move towards it, like, you know. And is an, any method allowable, but like, would most people be nymphing? Like, is that? Majority of people will be nymphing. Um, dry fly, dry dropper, depends on time of the year. If there's rise of fish, you'll take them on the dry. Wet flies can be very good, depending on the size of the beats, the cover water, streamers, You'll, you'll do whatever it takes to get to the show. I was asking you this before, we discussed with Peter. Like, for example, how many rods would you have on a session made up? How many would you bring? Well, I'm only allowed three. I'm only allowed, we're only allowed three in, in Taffy. In the Show Anglers Federations, in the Leinsters and the All Irelands, only three. In the World Championships? As many as I can carry on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many? Uh, money is the most you've carried at the World Championships or any of the international Oh, Probably I've had up to eight, I'd say, at any one time set up on, on the bank of a river, depending. Yeah. And then probably, I think the time I set up the eight rods, I got a lend of a couple of rods off a guy to make eight. And I think I had seven of them set up identical. Identical? Identical, <laughs> seven identical. That's how important time was going to be for that session. 
So basically, yeah. if you got a tangle, lost your fly or everything, just throw the rod in the river. Away. I wouldn't even throw it in the bank. I just throw it in the river or throw it wherever it needs to go and get the second rod. Is that because you're a tackle dealer? Oops, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't back then. I wasn't back then. But I came back and sold all the rods after that disaster. With new business. But um, no, it, it depends, you know. And then sometimes I've been in, in championships or big sessions. And one rod has got me the whole way through, you know, and when you crack off, you got to weigh up all the decisions. See, this is the thing. You got to make these split second decisions and these split second decisions will determine, you know, will often be the, mm. the winning or the losing of a session. And Rav Trump, for example, coming into the final minutes of session, I'm a firm believer that, or I've always practiced that even if there's only two or three minutes to go, if I think I have enough time to reset my cast, try on clean, take, clean leader, put on two clean nymphs and throw three or four, uh, effective casts rather than sellotaping something together to get those last two minutes and not being effective those three or four effective casts are far more beneficial to me than spending the last two minutes just going through the motions for no reason at all um, but yeah but that, and that's, been, that's been in control and that's controlling and that's actually thinking absolutely and that's actually yeah. deciding beforehand rather than going around and by doing that you will more often than not reap some benefit rather than going around and flailing Absolutely. the water. Yeah. But in Rat Rome, I, I cracked off with, with uh, less, I was told two minutes, I two minutes to go. And I waited up in my mind for a, a microsecond. Do I reset? How long will it take me to reset? I knew it would take me about a minute, possibly a minute, 10 seconds to reset. That would have given me 50 seconds to try and, and I was only on 12 at that stage. So I needed another fish to win the session. And, I waded up and I looked at the water, like all happened within a flash of a blink of an eye. I looked at the water, looked at the situation I was in at the top of here. I didn't even think, just don't, just stuck on another 3.5 mil bead and just went single nymph and into one tiny pocket that I just had a good feeling there was a fish there. And lo and behold, I took a fish, literally the second German, at the same moment he shouted time, I struck. Um, and the fish wow. counted. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you make those decisions. Now I could have made another decision to reset. So there's all these little micro decisions you make in a session that can go against you or go for you at any time. You, you can never predict. But I, I can tell you another 10 stories of where I've made the wrong decisions on other sessions and they have actually cost me the competition or cost me the session because I made the wrong decision at the moment. And I suppose as well, like, you know, you, you mentioned lads who are, you know, maybe physically fitter in their 20s. But what you've got is experience, the benefit of experience. Well, absolutely, yeah, that helps. That's always a good thing. It slows you down a little bit. It makes you just think about things a little bit more rational, more rational kind of in a way, rather than just rushing into a decision or doing something silly. You know, it does settle you down a little bit, the age thing. Um, yeah. Well, you know, with age comes wisdom, so we're told. But anyway. <laughs> well, we got much of that yet, time, but I'm working on it. Uh, but listen, what basically then what you're looking at, different rivers then what you're thinking is, let's say, what I'm thinking is, uh, let's say rivers where there's a lot of fish in it, it's going to su suit uh, the more physical, more athletic, and the younger guys. Would that be right? right? Yeah, depending on the river, depending on the size of the river, depending on how much physical um, physicality is needed to fish that river. If you're fishing heavy, deep water, all day long um, and wading through it if the fish are spread out through it you know that three hour session there you know if you've crossed that river 20 30 times in three hours you know physically the man that's that's yeah that's going to wear you down very quickly like especially if you need to recover within a two hour period to get ready for another one coming up in the afternoon um, you know that can work yeah that, that certainly can you know the, the physicality the young age like you look at all the, the, the big teams out there the French the Spanish 
you know, even the Polish now they're getting they're coming back a little bit strong at the moment. The Americans, you know, they're not just fishermen, they're athletes. Them boys are on them teams, they are athletes, they are fit, uh, you know, they're absolutely they're training for these championships. You know, they, they just yeah, they're they're a different breed altogether. Like can I ask you actually, um, like traditionally, kind of like wasn't it the French and the Czechs and that they would have dominated? Poland would have dominated first. The Polish were the first real guys to, you know, really, they, they, they invented nymphing. So Polish bugging was what they invented back in the 90s or the 80s, I think it was. And, you know, and, and then it was taken on by other countries and other schools of nymphing was developed in France and Spanish and blah, blah, blah. But uh, the Poles would have been very strong for a long time and still are always up there knocking around the top table. The French would be probably the most dominant. The French and the Spanish would be the two most dominant teams in the last two decades. Why is that actually? And the Czechs, sorry, Czechs. Uh, the Czechs would be those top three teams. It's a whole mix of reasons, really. Dyer. You know, it's it's teamwork. It's teamwork. It's commitment. Uh, it's commitment from their federations towards their teams. They're supported very well. Um, you know, it's it's practice. It's having the opportunities to fish. Like you could take, you could name say the top most successful five anglers or ten anglers in Ireland, river and lake. If they had been born. In Spain or Czech Republic or France, would they have gold medals hanging around their neck by now? Absolutely. Because they would have had opportunities as well. You know, again, this is going back to the argument or the, the conversation we had before about the, the, the qualification system in Ireland. This is one of the, the cons. You know, these guys get to fish worlds and Europeans year in, year out, year in, year out for 10 years, possibly even some of them for 20 years. Now, you're not always going to get the look of the draw, but you're going to get it once at least. Mm. Every couple of years, you know, in those 10 year periods, you're going to get the look of the draw and then you're going to get medals. But you have five men getting the look of the draw or even three of those guys getting the look of the draw. That's enough to get you into the medals. They've got the experience of fishing these championships. They're fishing them so often. It's like us just going to uh, a Leinster championships. You know, we're so yeah. used to them. Yeah. yeah, the pros and the cons of the democracy. You know, it weighs the whole thing up. But yeah, yeah it's it's teamwork. One thing that I find very inspiring when I, or inspirational when I go to those competitions, I see those big teams and, the, the teamwork, you know, the, the etiquette that's within the team, how do you back each other, how do you fish for each other, you know, the out in the mornings on the bus, you know, you won't see one of the Spanish guys lying in, in the bed because he's not getting on the bus for another two hours and the other four Spanish lads getting on the early buses. Everyone's in the car park, you know, everyone's supporting each other and um, really pushing each other on, you know, the amount of work they put into their team and teamwork and um, companion, you know, the whole the whole way they, they work as a unit is is inspiring at times. With the internet and YouTube and the sharing of information, and you know you can find out new methods much more quickly nowadays than you would have twenty years ago. Is the gap then narrowing from like you know you mentioned how Poland developed the nymphing and then it kind of developed further in kind of you know Czech and France and other Spanish co- or other European countries? But is that kind of gap of information now narrowing that everybody has access to the same information? Absolutely. Everybody has access to the same methods now. There's nothing really, truly innovative or new. No, and we've often, myself and a few friends that compete a lot together, uh, we've often talked about, you know, is there anything ever going to be new invented again for, for, for let's say, river anyway, for river competition fishing? You know, the jig, stuff, jig hooks have been invented. You know, barbless hooks have been invented. You know, everything has been invented. Euronymphin has been developed along the way over generations. Or, or decades, should I say, you know, is there ever going to be another major, you know, thing, possibly a fly pattern or a piece of fly material will is ex- be as extreme as it ever becomes. But technically, ac- across the whole, you know, 
world championships or European championships, the field of, of anglers are there. There's very little difference between them, really. You know, technically wise, everyone's very technically sound. We all have the equipment. As you said, we all have the access to the knowledge. There's a little bit of difference there between the hunter, maybe, and the angler. You know, you can buy, go, buy all the gear, read all the books, get the lessons and all that. But you've got to have something inside you, too. There's an ingredient that has to come from you, and that's that raw desire, that hunter, you know, that to get you that extra couple of fish, to get you that, to make you cross that river without even thinking about it, you know, to make you go that little bit harder. And that's something that's born within you possibly, or you've got to find within yourself. And some competitors don't necessarily find that in time for tournaments or um, don't really get that whole concept that you, it's got to be something from you too. But I think in relation to technical abilities, Ireland is as good as any other team in the world. Uh, same as any other team is technically wise. Um, but it's bringing all those factors together and everything else and the consistency, you know, consistency there as well. Uh, support from teammates, all these little factors, all these little things, you know, that's, that's the, it's the details we miss out on. Um, not necessarily. And we, we focus maybe too much on the bigger picture rather than looking at the small, small, small details that other teams tend to get right. And, and we might. Would you feel like, and it's a thing I know was discussed before, but when we saw all those rivers and we think like we have no real fast rivers in Ireland. Do you remember we went to the, we actually fished the weir in Galway. Do you remember that? That's right. Yeah. The session we were let into the weir. And that's one of the few places of like, and there was a hundred meter stretch of it. And like the river in Sweden was like that for about miles and miles and miles. But do you think it's a drawback that we don't have a huge amount of those big fast rivers in Ireland? I wouldn't say necessarily a massive drawback. Not as big as the drawback, Tom, that we, the fact that the point you hit on there was that Spain doesn't have good fishing. France have very tough fishing. Um, Czech Republic, it's it's stock fishing. It's not great fishing. We are spoiled here for choice. That's our problem. You can go down to the north on on an optimal day and you can get 40 or 60 fish an hour Mm. on nymph there. And sure, if you drop 20, what the hell with it? Sure, I'm going to get another 20 in the next... And we yeah. have Miles River. So a guy starts in the river and he fishes for four miles that way and he gets 20, 30 fish. He's brilliant. You know, he's had a great day and more luck to him. I've done it myself. I do it every day I go out. You know, you travel water and you keep fishing. If you miss one, you miss one. When you go to Spain to fish these rivers, even for pleasure fishing, you miss one fish, that's pretty much you done for the day. They, do, they can't afford to miss yeah. fish because they're only yeah. going to meet one anyway. Mm. You know, they can't afford to drop a fish because it's probably the only trip they're going to get for the day. In some of these rivers, you know, and and maybe what we don't do enough of is practicing on the tougher rivers we have here in Ireland. We're, you know, we're nearly spoiled. It, it, it just kind of enforces our, you know, it kind of what would you say, um, complacency in our fishing, you know, because, you know, we're, we're going to, we're getting 20, 30 fish. They're great numbers, but like um, we're probably missing 10 or 15 to get those 20 fish. And that's not good. You know, <laughs> that's, that's a good, co- good complaint to that's have. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Just not if you want to win worlds. <laughs> not if you want to be, yeah. Look, to win a worlds, is there an Irish team ever capable? Of, I please to God, or I hope to God one day I get to see it. I'd love to see an Irish team on a podium in the worlds. You know, they've done very well in Masters, Five Nations, all these other tournaments, even in Open tournaments. The Irish teams have have held their own, you know, and we've proven to the world that we, we can compete with the best of them. We're as good as anyone. Um, you just love to see it all come together for one world championship. So really would, yeah. Regardless of who's on the team, you know, it's worth them 100%. But um, you love ones just to, you know, yeah, it'd be, it'd be amazing. It would be nice, wouldn't it? When, when is the next world and where? 
The next Worlds are coming up now in a couple of weeks' time in Spain. So there's a good, strong team going there. Kieran Riley, Sean Dempsey are going there. Declan the young lads you mentioned. Sean Oakley, yeah. A couple of young yeah. lads going there. And so this is the first real big, back to the, the whole big show of World Phipps Moosh uh, in Spain. Um, so that's coming up in a couple of weeks. So really looking forward to seeing the guys get on to that. Hopefully they get a run at Moving away from competitions, Peter, how has the season been for you? We're coming up to the last few weeks now. Do you? Yeah, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. Like, where did that year go? Yeah, are you looking forward to the close season or are you kind of... Yeah, miss I, come September, I'm always looking forward to be finishing up. Uh, finishing up. I actually dusted off my beach gear there yesterday. I'll do a bit of beach fishing now for the off months. Uh, I do a bit of stocky fishing and a bit of grain fishing, but I go and I've spent some time on the beach. It's just mindless fishing. Um, but yeah, it's come September. I, I'm, you know, it's been a long season um, and it's, yeah, you'd be kind of looking forward to winding down a bit on the trout and, and doing some other stuff, you know. It becomes fairly monotonous, as Sam would know, every day of the week, being on the rivers, constantly, not even that, just thinking about it nonstop, you know, when you're in the game, you're thinking about it, you're talking about it, your whole world is involved around fly fishing and fly fishing the rivers or lakes. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a break kind of coming into the winter months. Do you get any pleasure fishing done, much pleasure fishing done during the season? Not this year, no, not a lot. Got a nice day with Tom on the duck fly a couple of days there on the Mayfly. They were probably my three most fullest days, actually, pleasure fly fishing. Um, went to went to Iceland for a few sea trout. That worked out to be quite nice. Couple of days out there, tiring trip, but it was it was worth it. Um, but on the river here at home, I'd say I didn't get on the river at home on my own five times wow. here on the north. And I'm living 130 yards from it, 150 yeah, yards from it. You know, it's, it's yeah, the weather it's probably played against you there as well. We lost Massive, you lost yeah you lost a lot we of lost fishing. the whole front end of the season with wind. Yeah. And, and cold, you know, you were out fishing, but like it was very difficult fishing. There was no consistency in fish behavior. There was no consistency in fly hatches. It was just, again, we saw a trend in the meantime. We spoke about this before. There's yeah. a trend growing there of this northeasterly wind coming in April, May, April, and yeah. just wiping the whole start of the real, which is probably the best time of the year to be on the rivers, April, May. You know, trout's metabolism is, metabolism is at its peak. It, they're getting, they're moving on to hatches. They're moving into those summer lies. They're spreading out a bit. And then you get this northeasterly breeze and it just, everything gets knocked in the head. I call it lifeless air. You know, just nothing can survive in it. Like, there's no life in the air. Are you guys seen that as a relatively new phenomenon in the last few years? Phenomenon's wrong word. New trend in the last few years? Like, Yeah, yeah, I definitely have noticed it more. Yeah, I have to say, like, in the last, I'd say in the last half, the last five or six years, we've had two or three Aprils, probably. And check my diary, Absolutely. but I do keep them. Definitely had two, not three of an April yeah. going into May of that just uh, as Peter and says it pushes like the whole one, season lifeless. out lifeless yeah. pushes the whole season out and puts the trout off and and they very you know it, it takes them a while and to get back into what where they should be seasonal wise and then for the last two summers we've seen massive drought come in straight after it and yeah. go to three or four months of no water. So you know for the last four to five weeks here on the rivers we just stopped fishing just because you, you have know, you, have year, you been like have you been out fishing on the river? No, I haven't been water. on the north in ages because of low water and, and the water temperature is too high. The fish are too stressed. The water, you know, the algae blooms in the bed of the river and stuff like that. It's just, no. It's okay on the same mountain streams like the Avamore. Those fish, you know, it's cold water river. Um, no weed growth in them. No algae, you know, kind of the temperature. There's deep, massive deep holes there that keep the water temperature level and, and a lot of underground springs and stuff. But unlike some of the, say, the Midland rivers, the north and stuff like that, it's like a boiling pot. Because their fish are so exposed, the water is so shallow in those in that in that kind of climate that um, fish become very very stressed. And if you're catching them and returning them, there's a good chance they're not going to return safely. 
What about Peter for the last few weeks of the season? Do you think will it be fishable again? Well, we've a bit of right drop of water coming through now at the moment, so we were lucky enough there to get a good shot of rain um, two days ago, and we got another big blast of today, so the river's quite high at the moment. Uh, if that settles in time. Um, yeah, we could we could see it the last week of the season possibly being quite good, or last ten days, two weeks maybe, um, of, of potentially getting some fish. Yeah. And any tips for people in terms of kind of September fishing, how they should approach it, or what they should be doing? September fishing it changes an awful lot. In September, you, you, you know, trout start to really think about the migration. It's, it's the hours of the daylight that I think go, that trout go by. Once the daylight starts closing in a little bit faster, trout start and all this. It's like autumn is coming. You know, water temperature is always going to be in around the same. Anyway, it's not going to drop overnight. Like So um, it's it's the daylight hours that kind of, for me, I think is the big signal for the trout to start changing behavior. So in September, I'd be, you know, looking for pods of fish more so than searching out summer lies for lots of single fish. You know, they'll start to pod up a bit. They'll drop back out of those highly oxidated the runs. They'll, they'll drop back out those runs and they'll sit back in more slacker water, start reserving fat levels, building up their fat levels, getting ready for a long winter. Um, you know, you got to source out. And the more we get into end of September, you know, I'll be doing an awful lot more wet fly fishing. Not necessarily just to catch fish, but I de- to find those pockets an awful lot quicker. Where if I'm nymphing up through a large piece of water, that's going to take me an awful lot longer than if I'm swinging wets over that piece of water. I can cover an awful lot of water in. 15 to 20 minutes and identify right there could be a pocket there there could be a pocket there and then come back and target them dries or dry dropper or nymphing that's really interesting about the pods because that's that happens on the lake too yeah you gotta find those pods yeah yeah they group up but i didn't know that they did that on the rivers actually absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. no they do tom and i've seen and we've been at for years you know we will always you know wet flies is something we never write off. You know, talk about modern techniques and all that, like spider fishing and wet fly fishing in the back end of September is probably some of the best way to catch trout, you know. Um, but definitely to find those fish because you can cover an awful lot of water very quickly to identify where there potentially could be a pot of fish and then, you know, uh, go back and target them on dry fly or dry dropper or, you know, or stay on them with the wets. You know, stay on them. If you're picking off a few with the wets, why not stay on them and, and keep picking them off there? Um, so, yeah, you're, you're looking for those kind of things. Um, I'd also be very... June to kind of to give them a feed in September. I always like going a little bit bigger with my flies in September, and um, because they are in that state where you know winter's coming, um, and that they want to reserves. And that's one thing I did in the Avon more was you know in that low river and the hot weather, an awful lot of people went down to two mil, two point five mil. I did the opposite. I went up, I went up to size fourteen hooks, and I put on three point five mil beads, and I fished two massive nymphs the whole session in the shallows, and um, yeah, just give them something to feed, give them something to eat. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, time of day, would you recommend? Daytime fishing now, even even rises are gone. You're looking at midday rises, uh, you know, best time. You'll, you know, it depends on if you want to be watching the fly hatches. This time of the year, we can see a return if we get the weather like we, we had today, a bit squally, wet, drops. Maybe the, the air temperature want to drop a little bit more. But you can see a nice little hatch of burn blues maybe coming back on late September. And, nice. you know, you get some olives coming back out. You'll still get a few caddis around. So there's a there's an abundance of fluid or food for fish at the end of September, which can make it very interesting fishing. Um, but daytime fishing now, really, you know, you're looking at, you know, midday rises possibly coming on. They could get a bit more sporadic as we get out right to the end of the season. But um, you're looking anything from, say, depending on the temperature, 12 to 3 o'clock, best, best time probably. Uh, and what other things, streamers? Would streamer be more successful in September? Not being a streamer expert, but yeah, I do fish them in the heavy water. If you get the heavy water like we have now, if you were down there now on the streamers, 
there today or, or tomorrow, yeah, you'd have a great chance of some some fishing on the marsh, right. pushing out of the way and stuff like that. But streamer fishing can be quite effective, yeah, once if there's heavy water. So are they recognizable lies where those pods are, you know, year in, year out? Or, you know what I mean? So what I suppose what I'm trying to say is if you find where a pod stacks up in September, is it going to be there the following September? Obviously based maybe on river height or whatever, but is is the lie the same? Like, Yeah, good question. I think... I think they'll be in the area. Okay, I have a firm belief that trout are very territorial, you know. Um, and when I'm kind of coaching on infant techniques and stuff like that, you know, I spoke, speak an awful lot about um, fish behavior and fish management. And I believe on the likes of the River Nore, fish will have a kind of uh, territory of maybe 20 yards, circumference of 20 yards. And you can do whatever you want inside that territory and they will not leave that territory. They will remain there. They have what I would identify as a protective lie and a predominant lie. Now, I think as we come out the back end of the season, that becomes a little blurred because they change their lies from their summer lies back into their autumn lies and they'd have different spring lies. I think they'd be in the same area, Dyra, not necessarily behind the same rock, but I think there is common places within a particular stretch of water that they're looking for where it's slacker, but you know, they're just off the gravy train. They still have that, con- they need that conveyor belt food this time of the year. So they're not going to sit into the main runs or, you know, where they're burning up um, energy levels and fat levels. They're going to sit off those a bit, back in the more slacker water, um, feeding up, but they still need that conveyor belt of food coming to them the whole time to be, to be eaten up. So they'll be in, the, you know, they'll be in identifiable war, I think, commonly, more so than behind that Pacific, in that, right there in that corner, you know. It depends because if that gets, filled up with silt or sand during the winter floods or a rock moves and there's not that that protection is no longer there for them well then they're not going to be there next season if change if the environment changes but it'll be commonly the same type of water that they, they drop back into really yeah that's a really interesting point because that doesn't happen with the lakes but it, you know river is constantly changing mm. i've been told that you know what you said about a rock moving and it could upset everything in the pool but one rock moves and the whole the whole thing changes yeah we don't have that on, we don't have that in the lake you know, mm. the point of the island is always going to be the point of the island. Point of the island, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, we'd find definitely, yeah, you'd you'd find them showing up in places where you know that are good to fish. The point of the island. Uh, that said, in the deeps, you could find them anywhere. You know, you can find them anywhere, and they are definitely moving. That's the only thing I find. All right, let's say like the point of island, you could find a couple of a pot of good fish. We'd normally get one good fish, right? But there's a couple of other fish have moved in together. But uh, with the deeps, all yeah. food they, related, Tom? Is that all food related? That yeah, the points of the island, places like that, are. definitely are. Uh, when they're out in the deeps like that, now, are they on Daphne or are they actually just beginning to shoal to go to the rivers? That's I, I personally think there's an element of the latter in it, but I, I, I think they are beginning to shoal to go up in the river. Like I've I've had I've had uh, been privileged to see some of the shoals in the Kernamona River here. Uh, I still have them on videos of shoals of fish in over a hundred fish right in a show uh, i've taken videos of them i have them it's absolutely fantastic and they're all showing together they're working as one in the show they're just there together uh, i firmly believe that there's an element of that out in the lake as well where they're um getting ready to move and that they'll move up together and that said i've seen river in the earlier on where you get them <clears throat> the single fish moving together and i've seen the river when it's been slack and just singles but then there are times when yeah they're just there in one big show Interesting, very interesting. Um, Peter, we mentioned coming up to the end of the season and October. 
even though you're getting the beach casting rods out, you still can't help yourself. <laughs> Back by popular uh, demands. Turn uh, <laughs> of the Saturday night. <laughs> Fly time. Yeah. Tell us more. Tell us more when people can expect it and what they can expect. Yeah, we're back for another. We're excited to do another winter. Excited to do another winter of it. And how long I'll be able to keep going before I run out of patterns and information. Um, but excited to do another season. And yeah, look, it's been great crack. Last two seasons, of course, the first one happened in COVID and it was great for everybody, myself included. You know, and the feedback you got back off, it wasn't just all great information or great patterns or whatever it may be. It was that everyone felt that they were part of a community kind of nearly thing on Saturday night where we all came together and just... You know, let off a little bit of steam, had a bottle of beer or a cup of tea or whatever was your, your fancy. And we all tied advice. had a virtual conversation, basically, which we were all missing. No, as anglers, we're very sociable creatures, us fishermen. And uh, while we do practice the sport an awful lot on our own, but we do love coming together and having an own natter about things. And, um, you know, that was a kind of a, 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 an opportunity for people to come on a Saturday night, you know, and, and it just grew from there. And. Yeah, then last season we did it and it went well. And again, good feedback was good. So once people are, are happy enough to follow it and watch it and, and get take something from it, then I'm happy enough to facilitate that. So we're back again this season. We've added a few new little things now this year. So we've got a casting clinic coming on. We've got a prof- couple of professional casters coming on that are going to be doing it. They're already made their videos and stuff like that. So they, you know, ca- casting clinics on simple stuff that people can work on over the winter months if they wish. And to improve themselves for next year, we got a taxidermist coming on with us. He's made us 10 videos of feather care and feather harvesting, which is very interesting. I uh, can't wait for that. Some of the stuff I've seen and some stuff I haven't. So he's, you know, we, we've over the summer months, we've collected animals off different places and um, we've, you know, we've froze them. And then when he's ready to make his video, we'll talk about the cock pheasant and how to harvest what feathers are you looking for off that cock pheasant, how to treat the skin properly and safely, how to, you know, feather care, storage, all that kind of stuff, what chemicals are out there that are safe to use, hazardous, whatever it may be. He's going to do some dying work with us as well. So that's really interesting. That's a new part coming in. Um, our usual then, our special guests. And uh, yeah, I'll rustle up a couple of fly patterns between now and then to throw out there as well. So it's going to be, yeah, it's, it's good. I'm looking forward to it now. I always look forward to those Saturday nights. Uh, they're a bit of crack. You know, they really are. I do get a great kick out. Like, yeah. when, when are they starting? October the 8th, Tom. October the 8th October will be the, the first 8th, one. Excellent. Yeah. That's kind of our first one. And what we'll do is just review the season. I have a couple of patterns there that worked well or discovered over the season and we'll just tie a few those, a few intros into the, what the show is going to be for the next 20 episodes and then tear away then every Saturday from then on. Brilliant. Um, and where can people, do they need to register in advance or where? what's the, the URL? No, no registration. And we put it up on Facebook Live. Uh, unfortunately, where I live, our internet connection, connection is quite weak. Um, so I've been, over the last two summer months, trying to you know make it a little bit better, more accessible for more people. We can only stream to Facebook Live at one time. I've tried to do YouTube, uh, Instagram, and Facebook at the same time, but I just uh, we don't have the strength here. So uh, it goes on Facebook on the Scary Fly Facebook page. Uh, you log in there on a Saturday night, and it's just there. Just just click and watch away, and it's free. And then I put it up. Then what I do is on Sunday morning, I put it. I put the video up. I record the video, and it goes up onto YouTube on the Sunday morning because an awful lot of people go back and watch it and, and take the references or rewatch uh, for partic- particular patterns or you know, tips or whatever we might be talking about. And we have a lot of special guests to come on. So people like to watch some of that stuff twice to really get the benefit of it, you know, or three times. So, um, yeah, and we have a lot of followers that are not on Facebook. They watch it in on a Sunday morning. Super, super. Well, we'll, uh, we'll tune into that. Keep an eye out for that on a yeah, Saturday night. Crack. Yeah, exactly. Um, final question, Peter. Yeah, I've given you advance notice now. So <laughs> sometimes I've forgotten to do it and I've put guests on the spot. 
But as always, our last question is, what is your most memorable fish that you have caught? Not necessarily your biggest, but your most Yeah. Memorable. Well, that's, that's a good point because I, people would often ask me, you know, what is your best fish? And I'd say, you know, what's your biggest fish? I wouldn't be able to tell you what my biggest fish is. I, size has never been a big thing for me. You know, I think it's, but I can tell you about the six inch trout I caught at the Avonmore or an 18 centimeter trout I caught at the Avonmore with the last cast. How valuable was that fish for me that morning? You know, fish or the fish I caught in the toy, fish of a lifetime changed my whole, you know, changed my, it, it pathed out my whole fishing career. That one fish in a toy, who would have thought it? You know, um, things like that. So, um, you know, there's, there's loads of fish there that you could talk, you know, I was looking about, say that one in Sweden or the one to get to Sweden, the one, uh, there was one in a, in a competition again in Cork, myself and Dave Donovan caught it literally in the first session, but it was the last cast I made to race maybe 50 yards to throw that cast, a full cast dry dropper up into a corner where I knew there had to be one more fish and made that cast while stumbling at the same time and hooked that fish and took it to the net all in a moment like of madness. But uh, that fish won the session for us and we, we kicked on to win 404, you know, so there's, there's been a lot of fish, um, Barracuda on the fly in, in Dominican Republic. I look at it, I could write a book on, on fish, but there is one, there's one story and it's very memorable, memorable, not just because it was a lovely trout or the, the conditions we caught it in or whatever made but it was the time, it was the moment. And that's very, important thing to do for any people that are out there fishing no it's not just about the size of the fish or the catch or the technical ability to catch it but you know it's where you are at the time it's who you're with is very important too you know and oh i can't even remember the year back in 2004 2005 i was going through a very changing time in my life i suppose it would be the best way of describing it and um my dad had just had a triple bypass and, you know, things were changed. The stars were aligning, but I wasn't aware at the time what, where the stars were aligning me towards. Looking back now, I can see, oh, that's where that happened. That's where I'm going. At the time, it was very confusing and things like that. Things were up in the air and off life, every aspect of my life. But anyway, dad was starting to recover a bit and he wanted to go away, get, get the hell away for a few days. So I said, you know, this is June or July, July I think it was at the time. And I said, look, let's go to the West. Let's go to the West. Dad loves the coral. And uh, let's go to the West. Nice weather. He was strong enough to go and we just go for two days, three days and just chill out and get away from everything. And he agreed. Anyway, so we went on, we stayed in Kong. We fished the Carob the first day. Uh, got a suntan was about all we got. Um, flat cam, not a trout to be seen. We were the only people on the whole Carob, I'd say, uh, sitting out there. But we sat, we sat out in the boat and we had our tea and sandwiches and we drank and turned off the phone. It was, it was, it was a lovely day. Stayed in Kong that night, took a walk around the village, got some dinner and went back and we were on the mask the next day. Never fished mask before in my life, nor dad. And we were boating it as well. Um, so got up the morning and he went with mask, flat camp, not a riffle on it. Sun, 20 something degrees, bright sunshine. There was a couple of other loony souls that went out that same day. Uh, we all, I don't know where we actually went out of now. I couldn't even tell you, Tom, but um, when we heard the boat and we went, but we didn't get. We were going out for a drive. We we're going to drive around and see Lock Mask, and um, so fished away here and there. So yeah, so Dad says here, pull in there. That's a nice looking island. We'll have a cup of tea. So we pulled in. We got out the Kelly kettle, made the tea, and sat and had sandwiches and talked. And oh, here, come on. He says we we'll get up and go back in the boat. We we'll go for another drive. So we might spot an old somewhere, you know. Um, so got into the boat, put the boat in reverse, start reversing back. Dad pushes out a little bit. Got the oar, put it into the water, pushes out. Turn the engine on reverse, start reversing out and spun the boat around. At the same time, Dad said, oh, look, there's a little bit of a riffle over there. He said, looking in distance, you know, it was like a mirage on desert of water. You know, you see this little riffle, get over there quick. There's, you know, there's a wave. And um, so anyway, we start, put on the engine and start motoring away. And next thing, I said, geez, look, look, look behind you. He says, there's a trout, there's a trout behind you. 
And they said, what? He said, there's a trout rising behind you. Stop the engine, stop the engine, quick. So I stopped it, looked back, and lo and behold, there was rings of a trout. So we'd have to rise So I grabbed the rod, stripped the rod as fast as I could in panic to cover this fish. Covered the fish anyway, and a couple of poles across it, no, nothing. And next thing he came up again. Jeez, there he is again, Dad. Dad says, there he is again. And I stripped back in and covered the fish again, two yards to the right or two yards to the left, whatever it was, and tried it again. And next thing the fish came up for a third time, and I looked at him and said, that's not right. What the hell is going on there? I said, that, that trout's not rising. Something's wrong. And next thing I said, I think he's floating on the surface. So that's said, geez, drive over there, drive over. So I put, drove the boat over anyway and pulled up alongside this lovely big three, three and a half pound brown trout. Beautiful big bar of gold. And here's a man floating up at the top of the lake with the marker, the propeller in the back of his head. Oh where we ran over him coming out of the, we ran over him coming out of the lake, <laughs> the island, ran over the trout and Put the net under and put the trout into the bag. And that's, geez, that's the handiest trout we'll ever get. <laughs> but now, yeah, we came back in after the lake. We came back in after the lake. Now, this is true. I'm, I'm telling the story, and you can put the story out. And my dad will back me up 100%. And there's even a few men on masks that back it up if I knew we were. <laughs> but uh, coming back in after the lake anyway, and we, we pulled up at the shore. And, geez, we were delighted ourselves with our trout. And, uh, and um, he wasn't going back, unfortunately. We would have tried to put him back. But he was he was dead as a, dead as a joke. Um, but anyway, arrived in and the other lads were coming in off the lake. It was a couple of lads out for a drive. Nah, they didn't even see a trout. Dad took out this big pro trout and anyway, pro was a bunch and geez, what you get him on? I got him on the propeller fly. <laughs> so we often meant to design a fly pattern and call it the propeller fly. But the boys couldn't believe, geez, what's that fly? Oh, that's a top secret pattern of us wicked boys and bad advice. Dan for AIDS the car park. So it's a crack we had. But you know what? What a memorable fish. It wasn't even just that it was a lovely trout or there's a whole story about it. The fact that I was there with my dad, um, you know, on that weekend, we had a lovely weekend that weekend. And that's what fishing's all about too. It's not just about the competitions or the medals. That stuff is all great. But for me, it's the memories, it's the stories we have, it's the companionship we have with our fellow anglers and things like that. So, you know, it leads us to great places at times, fly fishing. Uh, whack and wonderful but there was my that was my most <laughs> I know I debated about all week what's my most memorable fish what's the one one story I have not just the stands out from the rest like they're all fabulous trout like but um, you know one most memorable was that one not just because of the trout or the story that we ran him over you'll have to tie that fly during the, uh, the I will yeah I'll have to come up with propeller fly yeah yeah I've often thought about trying to come up with some kind of idea to call it a propeller fly yeah isn't, that's, isn't that's, there a pattern that's, there used to be patterns that are little spinning veins at the front of it I, that's I'm right seeing, yeah you can sorry, I'm, seeing little, near the, I'm seeing it they're already they're like little bow ties they're like little bow ties <laughs> the salmon anglers use them quite a bit actually and I've seen yeah. them on trout flies Tom too you know yeah telling you little, spin, little double spinner blades and you just fit on, yeah. you fit on uh, in front of your bead or in front of a, a threaded head and it will spin as you pull. And what it does actually, it creates air bubbles going out the back. Mm. I, and I'd never use it, of course. Yeah, <laughs> 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 uh, 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 it's good when you're on the troll. It's good when you're on the troll and dragging. Troll, what, what's that? Troll, troll, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Peter, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. That's yeah, absolutely thanks fantastic. Thanks for very much for having us. me on. Great show, yeah. and love listening to the podcast. And oh, keep well, up the good work, guys. And and likewise, likewise, we we can't, we can't wait now for October to come along, and we'll just yeah. tune in. Yeah, looking and, forward to having you on, Tam. Tam will be on us at some stage. So cheers, cheers everywhere the these days now, Peter. You can't get them, you know, away from the media now. Like, you know. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> uh, yeah. Peter, thanks for joining us. Cheers, All right, Peter, guys, brilliant. Thanks. thanks. Take care of yourselves. Our thanks to Peter Driver for joining us on the show, and don't forget to rate, review, and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple. Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.
Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. <laughs>